0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public, free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. Matt Arrett and Connecting the Dots on today's News Talk Radio,
1: TNT. All right, we're here for the third hour of Connecting the Dots on TNT Radio. I'm Matt Arrett, and I'm joined here with Ray McGovern, and I am very, very happy. I mean, I I love history. People who watch the show, they know I love history. I love context. A lot of people overlook that, and they they tend to try to analyze things in a myopic fashion just as they hit them from whatever news blip that they're following on social media, and they don't really think about the historical coloring. Now, Ray is somebody who not only appreciates history, but has lived in and participated in history in a greater degree than I know any— of all people I know, Ray has been on the inside seat on many processes that have shaped our world. Um, he has been somebody who has been in American intelligence, who's been involved with several presidential administrations, starting with John F. Kennedy. Um, he has chaired the the National Intelligence Estimates at different points in his life. He's set up the briefings for presidents from Reagan and and George Bush Sr. So he's seen a lot. He's seen a lot, and and he is. One of the most youthful old guys I've ever met. He's always on <laughs> in every single day. It seems there's another interview with Ray, another thing that he's written. So Ray, thank you so much for taking the time today on TNT radio to join me. You're
2: most welcome, Matt. Uh, thanks for that introduction.
1: It's uh, it's my honor. And uh, look, I, I got to say right now, we just opened 2024 is just opening up. There's a lot of crisis points from the Middle East ukraine front some weird elements going on right now in uh in south america uh where do you see what do you think is the most important thing that people should be thinking about going into 2024 as far as the point of concern um and what do you think are you positive are you are you feeling a bit of optimism or are you thinking that things are really dark right now without much hope
2: well uh intelligence Analyst professionals are not allowed, not allowed to be optimistic or pessimistic. I'm looking at a very uh, dire situation. First and foremost, the president who really does not seem fully in control of his own faculties. Hmm. Um, You see this in many manifestations, him being prompted by the Zionists that work in his administration to do crazy things in support of, well, let's call it what it is, genocide. My God, my country involved in enabling genocide. My country furnishing the arms and the other political support to enable and to conduct genocide. I've never seen, I never thought I would see that, but that's what's going on, and people need to call a spade a spade. Now, on Ukraine, I have been seeing for the last two years that he has been extremely poorly advised. Um, He said about four or five months ago, Russia has already lost in Ukraine. Uh, He was advised exactly a year ago by the head of national intelligence and the head of the CIA that the counteroffensive coming this spring in ukraine last spring uh, they were very optimistic (laughs) again intelligence officers shouldn't have told the president that they were optimistic particularly when they had absolutely no reason on the ground (laughs) to be optimistic well we know what happened to the celebrated spring offensive Mm -hmm. even worse if it can be worse the head of national intelligence, Avril Haynes, and the head of the CIA, Bill Burns, told the president, you know, Russia's running out of ammunition. The greatest thing they not only running out of ammunition, but they have no indigenous capability to produce ammunition. I mean, this is gonna be great. They said that. They said that oh. publicly. December. The year before so 13 months ago there's no reason to think they would be set telling the president oh we were just lying for public no no they probably told the president that so what am i saying well all the indications up until now have been that uh, that he's been led along the primrose path now i see him contemplating things that not even his acolytes not even the rabid anti-Russian and pro-Israel people, if they had an ounce of sanity, would propose, like confiscating, seizing $300 billion worth of Russian assets that have been frozen, and using them to fund the war in Ukraine, which is a fool's errand from day one. That's crazy. I mean, that is like... uh, Well, that betrays a mind that is still stuck in the Cold War. Russians, 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 communists, always evil, evil, evil. And we're going to do whatever it takes. Or the most recent phrase is, we're going to do whatever we can to uh, help Ukraine. Now, what can we with the Congress depriving us of funds? Well, we could seize Russian assets. Now, I don't, again, I don't know, but I don't think even Blinken, Sullivan, and secretary of the treasury janet yellen would, would bless that kind of shooting yourself in the foot i mean that's what it would amount to i can only conceive of the person himself as say well okay we've run out of our, our ammunition and uh, we don't want to start a, a, a nuclear war i know that's an option with these mini nukes but oh yeah i got it let's fund ukraine by seizing russian assets uh, long story short, that makes me question as to whether the president is just deferring to these uh, these sycophants around him or whether he is still making these important decisions. Maybe he can be dissuaded by allies or other people who have their heads sort of screwed on, right, from doing this seizure of Russian assets. I don't know, but if that's done, that persuades me the president is not compass mentis. And that his acolytes are not strong enough to say, no, Mr. President, we're sorry. It was a bad idea for Ukraine. It was a bad idea to go to embrace Netanyahu on day two. And now this is a really bad idea uh, seizing Russian assets. Now, yeah, that's the main problem I see. And we can go from there. But here are the Russians. You know, Matt, you know that I spent five decades, okay, uh, trying to put myself in the in the shoes of Soviet or Russian leaders, the primary concern, of course, is what they think of our strategic stability. Uh, what they think of what they used to call the correlation of forces. You know, as long as you have two nuclear armed countries, you're not gonna you're gonna not gonna back one into a choice between a humiliating defeat and using these nuclear weapons. Who said that first? John F. Kennedy in that wonderful speech at American University on June 10th, 1963. You mentioned Kennedy, that's why I came into this profession. So what will happen in Ukraine? One of my concerns, a big concern is that here's uh, Vladimir Putin looking at the situation, and he sees a president who is not fully compass mentis he sees him doing strange things he sees them making very bizarre decisions what will he do what will he do matt if his generals come and say look mr president we know it's a it's an election year and we don't want to lose in ukraine any more than you do okay so we have these little mini nukes and uh you know we could we could teach the russians a lesson okay and then you know the the things would we would be safe till the election would they do that i don't know but it doesn't matter what i my concerns are Putin has to be looking at the generals and admirals behind him and they telling him look mr putin we have said many times we don't we don't look at american intentions okay that's for that's for the intelligence people. We look at their capabilities, and my God, look at those capabilities! So we have to be on tenterhooks. We have to be on high alert as we go into this new year. We have to. We can't depend on anything anymore. Not even the, not even the the quasi sanity that Trump used to exhibit. Okay, we can't depend on. That's a very volatile situation. Well,
1: that's the the difficult uh, thing. I, is that I'll leave it you, there.
2: We could talk more about the specifics.
1: Yeah, I would like to because you you could you once upon a time, one could sort of assume a priori that your so-called rival cared in some degree about their self-interest um, and that they were acting in their self-interest. Um, and I, I would imagine that through most of your career, that was something that was animating the thinking or the calculus of those decision makers you were you were briefing and, and working with uh, that that they wouldn't do something that would foolishly unnecessarily destroy america as well uh, as a risk it's just too big of a risk so you wouldn't want to do uh the things that today it's almost like i don't know what exactly happened but it's like that that basic common sense of thinking about your your national self-interest as an american is not animating the the actions being taken by biden or some of his counterparts in ukraine or in in israel and there's a weird thing. What what would you say um, in your experience? How do you account for this 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 lack of of ability to just act in reality over the years that you've been watching and living through this process? Why? How? how? Really,
2: really good question, Matt. <laughs> Actually, I'd ask you to speak a little louder if you could, because my volume is not real good. Uh, I understood the question. And, you know, I've never been an ideology type of person, you know. (laughs) When I looked at at the Soviet Union, I thought, well, ideology plays a role, but not the main role. It's great power politics. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, great politics 101, okay. And that's the way we used to be able to discern what's going on in Washington. Now, (laughs) in my... Old age, I see a lot of ideology. I see, well, I see what uh, Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin criticized at a key point in the relationship with the United States and Russia. Uh, I mean, it was the acme of our possibilities for a good relationship. When was that? That was when the neocons who are ascendant today tried to get Obama to make open war on Syria. They manufactured a false flag attack outside of Ghouta, outside of Damascus, blamed the Syrian government and were trying to get Bashar al-Assad to go. It was openly declared U.S. policy, Bashar al-Assad has to go. Why? Because of Israel makes Israel a lot more safe if Bashar al is either has to go or we foment uh, terrorists. Now, these are moderate terrorists, okay, moderate ones, uh, to cause, uh, cause chaos in Syria. So Israel doesn't have to worry about <clears throat> any threat uh, from Syria. So they were trying to get this going, and they almost succeeded until Putin went up to, that is, uh, what happened was uh, John Kerry exploited this false flag. We know it was a false flag incident, this chemical attack outside of Damascus, blamed on Bashar al-Assad, <clears throat> and he said, now we have to attack Syria for sure. Why? Well, that was a red line. We drew that red line exactly a year ago in August mm-hmm. Two thousand and twelve. We said if chemical weapons were used, we that would be change our calculations. And Obama himself was mousetrapped into saying, Yeah, yeah, that would change everything. We would in effect go to war against Syria. So what happened? Well, after that attack and after Kerry went on with the Senate Foreign Relations Committee under Bob Menendez, they were all really, really really, really foaming at the mouth, get back at Syria for doing this incident. Okay. That was the 3rd of September, 2013. On the 4th of September, President Putin in Petersburg, preparing for one of these economic summits, says, I watched John Kerry say that the Moderate rebels are winning in Syria, and we have to get rid of Bashar al-Assad. I watched that on TV yesterday. On vriot, on sto vriot a which means he's lying. He knows he's lying. This is really sad. Mm. The next day, President Obama arrives in Saint Petersburg for the summit. <laughs> And he has this kind of greeting by Putin with reference to the Secretary of State at the time, John Kerry. He's a liar, okay? Now, what does Putin say to President Obama? First, <laughs> I wasn't a fly on the wall, but this is how I think it went down. Slava Bogu. Thank God you didn't bring that guy Kerry with you. <laughs> we have been working privately with some Americans and some Syrians to get the Syrians to destroy all their chemical weapons. And guess what? They've agreed to do that. So, Mr. Obama, uh, we applaud your reluctance, your hesitance to to start another war, yet another war. Uh, And so we're giving you a way out here. Uh, We have got the Syrians to agree to destroy what's left of their chemical weapons uh, under u.n supervision uh, on if you allow it one of the u.s frigates that's outfitted for such destruction and obama says really <laughs> john terry john kerry never told me about this yes really watch the syrian foreign minister on tv tomorrow and it will be confirmed he watches that is obama watches this uh, Syrian foreign minister, he says, yeah, we're ready to get rid of all our chemical weapons on on the UN supervision. And uh, Obama says, it's a deal. I don't have to go to war, okay? Now, every one of his advisors was advising him, look, you drew that red line exactly a year before, August 12th, I think it was, okay? And now you have to follow through the Tomahawk missiles are already in the eastern Mediterranean. They're ready to go, come on, <laughs> you know, what What kind of wimp are you? You don't have congressional approval. OK, well, Obama says, no, no, this is a more sensible uh, solution. And he comes back home and it's announced or did not quite announced. Uh, he he's looking at John Kerry, who is in London. This is three days after the deal was was pretty much signed between Putin oh. and Obama. He sees a Kerry in London, and Kerry is giving this press conference. And he says, "We got to retaliate against Syria. We can't let this happen." and Blah blah blah. Okay. And then the last last question was now, Secretary Kerry: Is there nothing? Uh, is there nothing that the Syrians can do to avoid to avoid being attacked by the United States? And Kerry says, "Well, <laughs> I mean, they could give up there." chemical weapons
1: but <laughs> that's not in the cards that'll that'll never happen, that's not gonna happen. That, no i appreciate yeah. i appreciate right. this but before we're going to leave this for a momentary cliffhanger right it pains me to do this but we're going to listen to a, a couple of commercials and we're going to come back and continue this story okay right sure. after a short break i'm super sorry <laughs>
0: C N T Radio's Joe Hoff.
2: Just a terrible situation there, and Biden was behind it, pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went. I bet you more than fifty percent didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in in uh, Palestine uh, with the U S. since since well under Biden. Uh, Trump shut this down, thank God. But under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to. uh, that part of the world. These people have been after Israel forever and and, uh, supported by Iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them not, you know, basically uh, create chaos in the Middle East, terrorism. And and we saw what happened earlier this year, about a month ago, uh, the two-in-one attack in Israel and the death and destruction, rape and kidnapping, more than 240 people kidnapped.
0: Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
3: When a crisis hits, close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines, ready to serve. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs healing, nurturing, rescuing, honoring, protecting caring, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes, across all missions, has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance.
0: The net zero con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory; it's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air, twenty four seven. This is today's News Talk Radio,
1: TNT. All right, we're back with the second segment of our third hour, where I'm here with Ray McGovern. What I lo- what I love about Ray's approach is that it's it's healing for a lot of people who oversimplify things and they think of the United States or any nation as the one ubiquitous thing and they don't recognize that there that's never been the case there there there's always factions they're not always in agreement there's there's a lot going on behind the scenes before you see something become a policy and ray was just going through some of the divergent factions in the lead up to what could have been an early uh, lunge into uh, a chain reaction of thermonuclear annihilation back a decade ago over a decade ago in september 2013 with uh some warmongers frothing at the mouth or the idea of taking a hard line on Syria, which, God, it's its horrific to think of what could have happened had we had that lunge been taken militarily with a, a Saddam Hussein full blown operation of regime change in Syria. How much more, how much more, what a disaster? Um, I mean, the world can't be said to not be a disaster right now, but how much more unmanageable of a disaster could we have been living in by this time um, it's hard to imagine, but you were going through the uh, the the fact that Kerry had represented one slightly more, I guess you could say dark age faction of the u uh, s. establishment, which thought it was a great idea to just go go ahead and uh, and and do a regime change militarily, whereas Obama was being influenced by something a little bit more rational and uh, didn't didn't agree to that, thank God, and went along with something that Putin had uh, had brokered as far as a controlled uh destruction of some of the of of their whatever remaining uh chemical weapons Syria had in their possession did you uh yeah sorry so I'm just recapitulating for audience who might have missed it and maybe to help you out as well If you uh I don't think you needed it but
2: well well thanks Matt yeah what I was uh what I was pegging here was the Acme of Russia U.S. relations it happened in early September 2013, when Putin gave Obama an out, he pulled his chestnuts out of the fire. All of Obama's advisors were saying, you gotta strike Syria now, you gotta strike Syria. Well now, why? 85% of the reason, of course, was Israel. Israel wanted this war on Syria, and they wanted to remove Bashar al-Assad, that usually, when it concerns the Middle East, is 85% of any such mercenary. Anyhow, all these neocons and and J- John Kerry was a, a chief neocon. Uh, tried to get him to start a war. Now, Putin saved that, and just as that deal was struck, a Kerry, a Secretary Kerry, was in London, and he didn't get the war yet. It was three days after the deal because Obama hadn't told them. Okay. Kerry was out for war, for sure. And Obama knew that. When Obama said we might want to go to Congress to get permission for war this time, Kerry was up in arms and so was the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Anyhow, here's, here's Kerry in London. I think that's where I, stayed, where I left off. And he's asked, you know, well, what are we going to do about Syria? And right, so look, they, they violated chemical attacks. That was our red line. And then somebody asked him, is there no, nothing that, there's nothing that Syria can do to avoid the US attacking and and he said well I mean they (laughs) I mean they they could give up they could give up their chemical weapons but that's not in the cards that's not going to happen that's a direct quote okay then he gets on a plane Obama calls him en route back home to Washington that is Kerry he said oh John I've got to tell you we're that old deal I want to see you as soon as you get home. I'd like to have a good rest, but then go back to Geneva and negotiate with the Russians and get this thing off the books. Obama later said that I violated the Washington playbook on Syria, and I'm glad I did. All of his advisors were saying, no, you have to attack Syria. Now, what am I saying? It's interesting enough that p- I play in Washington, but in Russia there was new hope. I mean, this was a a classic big deal, right? Now, Mm -hmm. the New York Times published an article, an op-ed by Vladimir Putin on the 12th of September, 2013, just as all this was going down. Uh, What did it say? Putin said, I am very reassured I am very satisfied with the evolving the evolving trust, his word, between not only our two countries, US and Russia, but between our two presidents, President uh, Obama and me. I think there are great possibilities in the future. I have to say that I disagree with one thing that uh, Mr. Obama apparently believes, And that is that there are exceptional countries, as President Obama said just last week in a major speech. I, President Putin, don't think that uh, there are exceptional, much less indispensable countries. I think there are all kinds of countries, some close to democracy, some not so far, some good economically, some not so good. But when the good Lord looks on all countries, he sees them as equal, period, end quote. Oh, (laughs) all men are created equal. Are all countries created equal too? Well, that's not the neocon view. Now, that was a major opening. Uh, Increasing trust, Putin's word? And Obama was reasonably happy. We know that from interviews he gave later. What happened? Well, increasing trust is not something that the neocons want. And this is part ideological, as I tried to say before. What did they want to do? They wanted to defeat, weaken, dismember Russia. That's the name of the game, (laughs) not growing trust. And so what did they do? They went in all out to to go into Ukraine. We know, so that was September. We know from a speech that uh, Assistant Secretary of State for European Affairs, Victoria Nuland gave in December that same year, 2013, saying, we have invested $5 billion, billion with a B, hear me? $5 billion in Ukraine's aspirations for joining the West, $5 billion. Then, of course, we had the coup, appropriately called the most blatant coup in history since it was advertised on YouTube. Uh, two and a half weeks before. I, I won't go into that story, but that's the facts. Then we had the coup in Kiev and whoosh, all of a sudden from the from the ACME uh, apogee, it went down to, to the, the nadir that we exist in today. It's very clear that they rule supreme. And who is one of the people that was going uh, to put his international stamp on this coup in Kiev in February and 14 his name was joe biden he was going to come in and going to bless the coup and give it uh, as much legitimacy as he could so he was in that from the very beginning why you know joe biden thinks in very strange terms and i would just cite one thing and on a recent 60 minutes interview about two weeks ago uh, the interviewer says uh, but mr biden can you afford to be engaged in in a war on on two fronts Uh, i think he was talking about ukraine and china but it could be three fronts now with israel are you, you are you really thinking about that and get this folks here's here's biden we're the united states of america we can prevail we always prevail. We're the most strong country in the history of the world. Got that? In the history of the world. Well, the British would say. Rubbish. <laughs> but that used to be the case. Show you the World War Two right after the Soviet Union, You but anymore. But if this is and I believe I've come to believe that he really believes this because he said the same thing in little parties uh, uh, of, of supporters, donors and so forth up in Maine before primaries and stuff. So he apparently believes this. And does Blinken and Sullivan believe this? Maybe they do. They're very well educated, but they're educated from history books from five decades ago. When I was writing things about how the Russians and the Chinese hated each other, <laughs> that's changed, okay? So let me just say that there is an ideological factor here. I'm born of the fact that, uh, uh, that the president of the United States has this ideology, and he also is an openly professed Zionist, but I don't mm-hmm. think he knows what a Zionist is. A Zionist is not a Jew and the vice versa. Jew is not a Zionist. Zionists are a political thing. We know the history of Zionism. It's violent. It's at work now in Gaza. And the Jewish people, the Jewish religion is quite different. So what when Biden hurries off to, to embrace Netanyahu and give him, in effect, carte blanche, I hate to say it again, but to do genocide, I mean, that's, that's beyond the pale and hopefully this this initiative at the, uh, the court of Je- uh, the international court of justice will bear some fruit but i'm afraid what happens in the next couple of weeks the, the choice really is will the palestinians be driven into the sinai despite egyptian reluctance to accept them or will they all be dead now we know the holocaust Well, you know, the last genocide, I was alive during that whole time as a little boy. I know all about six million Jews. How about two million Palestinians? Is that any less genocide? Actually, after the war, uh, the International Conventions on Genocide made it very clear that it doesn't have to be six million. You don't have to try to eradicate a whole people, a whole tribe or a whole nation. Uh, a a sizable portion yes if you have the intent and if you have the actions behind what you're doing that's genocide now the intent has been made clear by Israeli leaders for God's sake and uh, the the actions in in Gaza just are beyond the pale they need to stop I wish I could do something more than just talk about it
1: well let's let's hit it that question and unpack that a little bit more. Um, you know, I, we're going to go into a, a quick break and we're going to finish up this show with, I think, a bit more of a deep dive on some of the dynamics there. But one thing I, I think that is just important for people to hold in mind is that, and you, you alluded to this twice already, the, 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 the tendency of the mind to detach from reality and to impose what the, 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 the ignorant mind wishes reality to be rather than to learn from reality itself. And whether it's the idea that you could confiscate Russian money, um, held within European banks and just sort of just confiscate it. And there will be no real world repercussions as if you're in a video game and that could maybe work on a whiteboard. Uh, that that's insane. There are so many reverberations that will immediately happen tied to an already flimsy us dollar that's ready to explode. Um, God knows what type of nonlinear destructive effects that's going to be, but it's not going to be good. And then as you pointed out, these, these young academics who just went straight from, you know, Ivy League school into policymaking circles, um, advising governments, making policy only with, with a little bit of weird book knowledge, not even that these are really good books. (laughs) <laughs> that are completely devoid of any reconsideration of what reality actually is, what is animating the hearts and minds of people in China, in Russia, in the Middle East. It's it's very, very concerning how detached um, the the governing strata of the exceptional, as, as Pepe Escobar calls it, exceptional stand, has become in the West. So We're gonna discuss a little bit more of this insanity uh, with a focus on, I think, the Middle East when we come back from a a brief commercial break.
4: Sometimes life can be overwhelming and suicide may seem like the only way to relieve the pain. Beyond Now is an evidence-based app created by Beyond Blue to help you cope when suicidal thoughts start to appear. You can use it to create an easy-to-follow plan that is personal to you and includes steps like Know your warning signs so you can act early. Make your environment safe by removing harmful items, activities you can do or people you can be with to distract yourself from suicidal thoughts. Reminders of things that make you feel strong. Some of these steps might be tough to fill out, and that's okay. It can be helpful to make or share your safety plan with a trusted friend, family member or mental health professional. You might feel like you're alone but help is available if you're worried you can't stay safe use the red telephone icon to call your emergency contacts download the free beyond now app today to create your personal safety plan
5: hi i'm susan lucci i never thought about heart disease until i had my own heart event at first like so many other women out there i ignored my symptoms a slight pressure on my chest shortness of breath i thought I don't have time to be sick. I had a a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries. Stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org.
0: Matt Arrett and Connecting the Dots on today's News Talk Radio,
1: TNT. All right, we're rounding out our third segment of the third hour with Ray McGovern. Um, we're just describing, discussing a little bit of the, um, the, the the cataclysmic problems when people's minds disengage from reality as it is knowable and choose to instead impose their own preferred reality or what they think reality should be onto the world as if they were gods uh, ruling from on high without recognizing that there's a higher natural law that they should be trying to discover, act according to. And maybe things would be a lot better for themselves and for their progeny and the world at large if they did. But that takes some humility. And as they say, pride cometh before the fall. So we have a lot of pride. We have no shortage of pride and chosen people syndrome uh, on all different spectrums from Ukraine. And we see it in the Zionist circles. We see it in the American political strata as well. Unfortunately, we see it all over the place and it never ends well. So we're talking here. We didn't really mention so much of what's going on in Israel, Ray. And uh, I got to say, like, it's weird. I, I was starting to think maybe there was a tempering down of some of the more aggressive offensives that have killed so many people in in Gaza over the past couple of months. And maybe there was going to be a, a transition towards a different type of more soft policy. But it seems like that's not happening. And instead, what we've seen in the last couple of days have been Israeli attacks into Lebanon. Again, that's already been going on. But there's been an amplification, the killing of a of a leader of Hamas in Lebanon. But this could also derail into something really bad. Um, into Iran, there was a hundred people killed at something that looks or smells like it was probably tied to, um, some Zionist, um, operation at the, uh, funeral, um, uh, memorial of, of Soleimani, uh, who had been killed already four years ago, hundred people died, a lot of injured. Um, it's almost like Israel is trying to pick a fight with everybody at the same time. What is going on? Like, what is the thinking of Netanyahu right now? I don't, it's hard to get my mind around it
2: it's hard for me to get my mind around it as well matt um, i think one uh, aspect that needs to be actually emphasized is the fact that he has a personal stake in remaining in office um, if he's kicked out of office uh, he's going to go to jail he and his wife maybe they have a little suite together there but they're uh, the case against them is pretty airtight and now the Judiciary has made clear that they're not going to make exceptions for this kind of thing. So personal incentives often mean a lot. I think Joe Biden has a similar personal incentive in keeping his son Hunter and himself and his acolytes Sullivan and uh, and Lincoln out of jail if that other guy wins in November. Suffice it to say that... uh, there are very few uh, gleamer, glimmers of light on, uh, on Gaza. Uh, there was one last week, uh, the announcement that the USS General uh, Gerald Ford was being withdrawn back to Virginia. I found that odd uh, in these circumstances. And there was also the announcement that the Israelis had pulled back several brigades uh, back out of gaza into israel proper now uh we in the intelligence talk, talk about you know uh glimmers of light or straws in the wind usually we say these are and remain straws in the wind but I think they bespeak a difference in attitude in washington between those who want to take sitting duck aircraft carries a, a little bit farther away from the action and those who are just as soon just as soon, see, U.S. soldiers, sailors killed so that we could retaliate. Mm-hmm. Now, What bothers me is that on the fourth anniversary of Soleimani's uh, assassination, he was right outside the Baghdad airport. Trump said ah, he was planning an imminent terrorist attack. And then when that didn't pan out, he said, "Well, no, that no, was just their general general planning." for just he has got by terrorism. Okay, no, he wasn't. The prime minister of Iraq got up the next day and said, "No, he wasn't. He was an envoy for peace. He and I were going to get together with the Saudis, and we're going to try and see if we can get to get some sort of peaceful cooperation in this area. That's why he came, and that's." apparently why he was killed. Now, on that same day, the day after the assassination, the Iraqi parliament said, no more foreign troops, no more foreign troops in our country. (laughs) And the US said, watch us. We don't comply with uh, this kind of thing. And the following day, there were attacks on what remains of US forces in Iraq. Now that comes to the fore today as well because there are US forces, about 2,500 of them, still in Iraq, sitting ducks, doing no good for anybody. I mean, they fail in their attempt to remove Bashar al Assad, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. What are they doing there? Well, how about in Syria? They were invited to be in Syria. There are 900 there. They are sitting ducks. And there are people in Washington, I am convinced. They would just as soon like to see some of them killed as a kind of casus belli for us to go after the real culprit. Said you know how to spell that? I R A N, Iran, as uh, as Senator Graham would put it. So the the the, the uh, incident where a hundred people roughly were killed. At a memorial service marking the fourth year of Soleimani's assassination and 200 more wounded. Well, that's a provocation, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. were well, they trying to provoke whoever did it, and I'm convinced it was almost certainly the Israelis. Uh, they want Iran to retaliate. Like, retaliate against Israel? Well, maybe not. Maybe retaliate against that one aircraft carrier that's still there, right? The USS Eisenhower. Are the Iranians going to do that? The Iranians are really smart people. They know something about correlation of forces. And they know what aircraft carriers can do? I think the answer is no. The Iranians are not going to rise to the bait. So what are Israeli gonna do then? Well my view is that they will probably do it for the Iranians. What do I mean? I mean a false flag attack. Watch for it. A false flag attack, not so much against Israel, but against those troops that are in Syria, U.S. troops in Syria and uh, and in Iraq for no good reason at all. Let's kill some of them off, and then Lindsey Graham can say, I told you, I told you that if U.S. forces are killed in those countries, we're going to bomb the hell out of Iran, Okay. That's what I think is going to happen. Watch for it. Because that would get Netanyahu, in in his view, out of this dilemma, and it would solidify this Zionist cooperation and commitment, as spoken openly by the president himself and Blinken and Sullivan, both of whom are also overt Zionists, okay, Um, would get them so so much more committed that there'll be no chance maybe they'll send the uss gerald four back into the area okay because they can't do that to the united states of america. did i tell you the united states of america is the most powerful in the world did you get that the most powerful nation in the world well let me just head so just taking a step back you know aeschylus sophocles euripides they're tragic heroes well, all were all oh, were tragic because because of a tragic flaw called hubris. Okay, that's the Greek word for overweening pride. Okay, now that's what we have here. We have a bunch of policymakers out of the best schools, as you point out, Matt, but with no practical knowledge, never having served in a uniform, not knowing which end is up reading the riot act to the chinese like like the british a century ago okay (laughs) reading the riot so so what am i saying here i'm saying that hubris is really really at the core of this and i hate to pick on john Kerry because at once he did the right thing no longer but when he this takes just a minute of explanation it's a good example i think uh at the u.n in September of 2015, Putin called Obama aside. He said, you know, I, I want to tell you this. We're sending our air force into Syria, okay? And uh, we just want to let you know, we really don't want to get involved in a an in air force, an uh, air duel with you guys. Uh, so just, just so you know. So Obama, to his credit, calls Kerry and says, look, you work with Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, and you work out a sensible agreement, get a ceasefire. Next 11 months, Ravarov, Kerry, work on a ceasefire, and it's concluded. At referendum, both presidents, and they approve it. In six days, the U.S. Air Force violates the ceasefire in, in, in Syria. Okay? Now, Kerry is distraught, and he later admits, well, it was you know, you can't tell the Defense Department what to do. And then, this is what I want to juice here. Not many people know this. When you live in Washington, as I did, you get to go to these things. It was an Atlantic Atlantic Council. I had to wear a tie, for God's sake. It was a big, big deal, right? Kerry's just back from Syria. And uh, this wonderful uh, uh, Steve Clemens, uh, perhaps you know him. He, he's a good interviewer, right? So he says, now, Secretary Kerry, what do you say about about what happened just now in Syria where we had the ceasefire agreement with the and was and, broken. And Kerry says this very, very enlightening, very, very, very instructive. Please listen carefully. Secretary Kerry. Syria is as complicated as anything I've ever done in my public life. There are probably about six wars going on there. At the same time, Kurd against Kurd, Kurd against Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Sunni, Shia, everybody against ISIL, people against Assad, the Lusra. This is a mixed up sectarian and civil war and strategic strategies and proxies. So it's very, very difficult to be able to align forces. Steve Clemens says, oh, so in the middle of all that, why did you think you could get a ceasefire that would hold? No answer from Carrier. Why did he think you could do that? Hubris. Okay. Mm. He's he's saying, "Look, I'm completely out of my depth here. This is the most what the most tough, complicated as anything I've seen in my public life," and what Steve Clemens uh, was too kind to of ask him is, okay, secretary, what made you think under those circumstances that you could align forces? Mm-hmm. So there's a, an example from what, that 2016, now we're, if my math is right, seven, eight years beyond that. But the attitude has not changed. The people have mm-hmm. changed, but the same stripe, I mean, after all, uh, Sullivan and Blinken were around then too. They didn't learn anything because they're they're guilty of the greek tragic flaw of hubris overweening pride and that's going to come as the chinese would say to a no good end
1: yeah it seems like this is sort of the the secret sauce that makes this weird thing called the rules-based international order uh function is like Putin said, well, what is this rules-based international order we hear so much about? I've never seen these rules. Uh, could somebody show them? I didn't agree. Nobody agreed to them, and it just sort of seems to mean whatever we want to do at any given moment, independent of the self-contradictions uh, embedded in what we want, <laughs> uh, is going to happen. That's the rules-based order versus something that is tied to reality it's it's really devoid of that and it's it's not really inclined to self examination self critique like there's none of that going on it's just doubling down on your impulse to get your way like a temper tantrum a a, a little child having a temper tantrum when the world isn't uh, panning out the way that they want their candy to be eaten for every meal of the day it's uh it's pathetic but that being said we only have a few minutes left um it's scary to just to put into words like that. You know, like that, that's what's animating the biggest <laughs> nuclear powerhouse in the world. Let me, uh, uh,
2: Matt, let me let me add something yeah. here from Putin's mouth. I'll be f- as brief as I can. At Valdai in October of last, no year before last, so fourteen months ago, he was asked, uh, "What about these Americans? Uh, you know, they say they should take out China at the same time as they're dealing with us in Ukraine. Well, what do you think of that?" And Putin says, and this is a quote. At first, I thought this was some sort of subtle plan, but I, I no longer think so. I think, it's, I think they're crazy. I think it's a combination of arrogance and a feeling of impunity, period, unquote. That's a direct quote. Now, it doesn't mean I agree with that, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter what I agree with. If Putin thinks that, that we're crazy. Well, he didn't re- we use the word crazy, but it was amount to crazy, okay? Uh, then, you know, he's got to be really, really worried about his generals. Tell him, look, you got a crazy guy there. They got all these capabilities. You know, you got to be very, very much on the edge. And, uh, you know, there are lots of reasons why the neocons and the armed forces such as they are uh, would give every reason for Russia to really be worried about what will happen and the Chinese as well.
1: I, um, you, you, you've, I think, sounded the alarm to a very real danger. Looking at the MO of the, uh, the arsonists who are uh, running roughshod, uh, the idea of creating a new false flag, um, sacrificing some of these sacrificial soldiers that are pl- placed conveniently in hot spots, That's a serious danger. I do think people should keep an eye out for that as well. That, that is, that is a big one. um. The other thing, though, you, you've you made the point that Iran, many of the Arab countries have avoided falling into the traps that have been set for them so far. I mean, there's a lot of withholding. Um, there's a lot of provocations, but a lot of not falling for provocations, um, which is incredible, the amount of temperance. And we only have a minute or two left. Um, do you think that the influence of the BRICS, they've just expanded to 10 countries, it's huge civilizational states that are now players- um, in ways that we've never seen in human history before. Do you think that this could offer a, a stabilizing or creative force to change the 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 rules-based international order trappings and provide an, a gateway out? Or do you think that they're not influential enough in the region or globally to, to play a role to change the game? And you only have a minute and a half, two minutes, Max. I'm sorry.
2: It's a real good question, Matt. Uh, we have Iran in now, Saudi Arabia in, the UAE in, Egypt in, Ethiopia in, it's got to be a positive thing. Positive things don't always uh, surmount uh, ideological and misguided principles such as we're seeing in Washington. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they will will play a role actually in Gaza itself. And this uh, suit at the International Course of Justice holds some promise of reigning not only the Israelis, but you know, Being complicit in genocide, which President Biden and his coterie of acolytes are, that may have a restraining effect. We have to get we Americans have to get out on the street and put our bodies into it as well.
1: Yeah, this is the, the thing. It really comes down to the subjective element at the end of the day. And I know you've done your fair share of of citizen interventions in a variety of venues uh and you've really shown people how to put their bodies into it and i mean when you're (laughs) when the world goes crazy and and they as they say uh whom the gods will destroy they first make mad so i think that again you're you're touching on the impulse here of what what do you do well what's left well you have to say the truth the craziness happens because too many people say nothing do nothing and let the evil spread and spread. So by just people taking a stand, you represent uh, a voice of thousands of people around you who are too afraid, but they need an example, a role model, which will give them the courage within themselves to do something similar. And your Veterans for Intelligence Professionals for Sanity is a great venue your writings, your interviews. It's wonderful that you're doing this. And, uh, and you're really walking the walk, Ray. So thank you so much for taking the time with me and with TNT Radio today. Most welcome, Matt. Keep All up right, the good work. Much. Yeah, You too. All right. So with that, we are going to end it out for Connecting the Dots. We will see everybody next week on TNTradio.live.